Hey guys, this is Debbie and welcome back to my podcast, Candle in a Dark Room. So today I have a special guest and her name is Feather Burkauer, founder of Parenting Safe Children. She is a licensed clinical social worker and holds a Master of Social Welfare from the University of California in Berkeley. Feather is one of the nation's leading experts in child sexual assault prevention. She has dedicated her career, which now spans over three decades, to educating parents and youth professionals on how to make their communities off limits to child sexual assault. Using her community-based approach, she has trained over 150,000 school children, parents, and youth professionals across the United States. So I wanted Feather on here today because I think that I, I've talked about this many times in my podcast before that educating parents is huge on preventing child abuse. That was a huge part in my situation. So Feather, well, welcome to my podcast. Thank you, Desi. Thanks for having me. Of course. We've been following each other on Instagram for a while now. Um, I love what you do and you'd always have amazing people on to talk about this prevention. And I think it's just so important. It's definitely one of the main reasons why I do what I do, because again, being a survivor of child sexual abuse, my goal is to make sure that parents know what to look for. Parents know what signs to look for. So why don't we start from the beginning and kind of how you got to where you are first? Okay. How far back do you want me to go, Desi? Like, did you have something happen as a child? What kind of got you into the profession and like, why, why did you do what you do? Okay, great question. So when I was studying um, for my undergrad degree in California, I was studying women's studies for my BA at San Francisco State University, and I was required to do an internship to graduate from my degree. And I had no idea what kind of work that I wanted to do. I just knew somewhere in me that I wanted to work with children. I didn't know why. I was just drawn and called to do that. And I needed to do an internship. And so I was looking for programs working with kids. Simultaneously, I was at home one evening. I think I was 23 years old. um, And I was watching a made-for-TV movie with my roommate. And it just came on the television. And uh, the movie was called Something About Amelia. And I don't Mm -hmm. know if you or any of your listeners have seen that. Mm You have seen it? Okay. I've seen bits and pieces of it. And actually my training, because um, I worked at a rehabilitation center, we actually were required to watch pieces of it. So Okay, great. So you know the movie. So yeah. I was I, out of the blue, it came on television and I, and I watched it and I watched in awe. And the truth is, until that point, I knew nothing about child sexual assault. I didn't know friends. I didn't know family. As we all know, we all have people in our lives who have been sexually assaulted, whether we know it or not. But to that point, I I didn't. And something in me was incredibly moved watching that movie. And when it was over 90 minutes later, it was a short movie. I turned to my roommate and I, I said, that's my life work. And it just from that day forward has been my life's work. And, and, So I found a program to do my internship with called Child Assault Prevention Project, CAP, which was a program that went into the schools to teach children about bullies, about strangers, and about known people who might sexually touch them. Mm. And I got an internship with them, worked with CAP for for that year, and then was hired for another five years after I graduated and learned truly everything in those early years that 
or not everything, but the base of what of what I have had come to do, you know, throughout my career in those years. Um, and I I did prevention for a long time with children. And just to summarize this and not go on forever about this, through my years of working with children in classrooms on prevention, it became really apparent to me that we could teach kids these skills, but and this is the mission of my work now and the perspective that I come from is that adults are responsible for protecting children from sexual assault. Absolutely. And children can and should learn protection skills. It's important that they do. However, ultimately it is up to adults to protect kids, not for children to have to protect themselves. Absolutely. And so, so while you know, prevention efforts historically have focused on kids, teach children to say no, teach them to stand up and say, don't touch my private parts, teach them we don't have secrets. All of the things that I absolutely endorse and teach and are important, but I believe that how in the world can we expect a child, a five-year-old or, mm -hmm. or an eight-year-old to say, mm -hmm. don't touch my private parts, from a loved one, a family, a close person, when the adults around the child are not speaking up and educated about this enough to know the signs of that grooming preceding behavior that happens and speak up. And so the point I'm trying to make is that I, I shifted from focus on prevention on kids to focus on prevention on adults. And that's what yeah, that's what I'm doing now is that I do seminars for parents, teaching them how to teach their children prevention skills. Okay. But but also really the bulk of my work with, with parents, and I teach youth professionals how to create policies in their schools and organizations, but with parents, oh, okay. yeah, we can get into that too if you want, but with parents, what I'm doing is two things. Learn about sexual assault, learn about grooming, and know how to how to recognize when you see grooming behaviors. I don't want you to recognize the signs that your child has been abused because I don't want that to happen in the first place. Right. I want you to be able to know if someone is grooming you mm -hmm. and your child so you can intervene, okay? So, so my focus is educating parents how to do that, how to teach their children all of those prevention skills, but most importantly, how to have conversations with, and I'll use you, Desi, because you have two children, how you can mm -hmm. have conversations with all the people in your children's lives yep. about their body safety, with your family, your parents, if you have, your parents are alive, with yeah. grandparents, with aunts, uncles, teachers, babysitters, coaches, all the people that you would drop your child off and drive away and leave your child in the care of how you can have a conversation about sexual assault prevention, or you can call it body safety. With that adult, not the children. Correct. Okay. So I'm doing both. So right. one is build your prevention team. Consciously decide in your life when your children are young still, how who are the people that you entrust your children with? Yeah, absolutely. And and you purposefully get buy-in from those people around consent, around all the body safety rules that we can go into if you'd like, and that they are part of your team. Because, you know, I, I didn't say this in 
and you didn't say in my introduction, or I didn't bring this up yet, but I've worked with sex offenders for quite a bit where I, oh, wow. adult offenders, not youth, right. men and women who have sexually abused children. And what I've learned over my decades speaking with them is that the only way that we really can prevent this crime, other than having offenders stop offending, which is the ultimate responsibility, but right. as parents and community is to talk about this. Okay, so you, you said something really important in the beginning, which was, what if your mom would have been educated, right? right. I don't know who your perpetrator was, but what if- It was my stepfather. Okay, your stepfather. So, and that creates a little more of a complicated dynamic. Because I live with him. Right, however, what if your mom was educated about what we're discussing? And be, while she was dating this man, mm-hmm. before she married him, before she brought him into your home to parent you, mm-hmm. she would have discussed these topics and, and assessed and screened where this person was around sexual assault, body safety, boundaries, consent. Just that conversation and that message, what I've learned with offenders, deters people who sexually abuse children. Mm. Okay. He might have seen, you know what? I better not hang out with this woman and do this to her child because I can't get access and this isn't an easy victim. Right. And I don't want to simplify this because, you know, sexual assault is complicated and offenders are very sneaky. But, right. But this is the concept that I'm really focusing on an offering. What if the mom or the dad would have discussed private part touching and secrets with the babysitter before they hired the babysitter mm-hmm. and, and gave all family members boundaries around tickling, closing doors when, children, when family comes over, mm-hmm. around affection and forced affection and consent, and, and that these conversations were the culture of your home Offenders would have a much harder time gaining access to children. And this is what I call prevention team. Okay, that makes sense. So what about, so in my case, I, it happened for like seven years and I was, well, my mom and them explain it. And my family is I was very, I was very good at hiding what was happening to me. Like nobody knew. I had never told anybody um, while it was happening. Basically, you know, I would get picked up from school and then I'd be dropped off at school after, and I'd have to put a smile on my face and nobody could know what had just happened. Um, you know, that kind of things happened for a really long time. And of course I would lie to my mom and say, oh, I got a black eye because I felt the park or, you know, things like that, you know? So how do you get it from a child who may be really good, like secretive, but you have like something to keep off feeling about it? but you know what I mean? But you can't necessarily pinpoint what it is. How do you approach that? Well, my belief is even a kid who's really good like you and many children are, Mm -hmm. you know, because they have to um, compensate. We have to survive. Right. We know that. Right. And the fear of it being known as much as you wanted it probably stopped is mm-hmm. as terrifying as the abuse itself because of the exactly. consequences. So my belief, Desi, is that there were signs even though you were good. And mm-hmm. an educated adult 
might be able to see them. A black okay. eye. Okay, did your stepfather give you that black eye? So not necessarily a black eye, but like if I had a bruise on my cheek, yeah, he was very physically abusive. So like I would get a bruise on my cheek, you know, he'd punch me in the face often, um, okay. my stomach really hard. I'm pretty sure at one point my ribs broke. But again, I wouldn't show my mom anything. I wouldn't do anything. I would act normal. And then, you know, so again, it was like, you know, obviously this kids fall all the time. Like my six-year-old, eight-year-old, they get bruises all the time from at the park, things like that. So I will say it wasn't, he was really good at, at making sure it was at, it was the bruises and marks and all that were in places that my mom wouldn't necessarily see. And if she did, they would, they could go off. Of, oh, she fell outside. Or okay. she, you know, and, and physical signs are not very common. You, you sounds right. like you were being physically abused as well. Um, but how about, how about this? What if your mom were engaging with you as a young child around conversations around body safety, reading, mm -hmm. I don't know if you can see, but reading all these children's books with yeah. you where she was educated and she was talking to you about, you know, no one's allowed to touch the private areas of your body, your genitals, your vagina, your vulva, and using correct names. Right. You're not allowed to touch other people's. Along mm -hmm. with, we don't jump on couches. We put our bike helmet on when we ride bikes. We right. wear the seatbelt. And body safety was woven in as the culture of your home. Perhaps it gives an opening for a child to then say, say well... This is happening now, not always because the consequence can be greater than the, than the touch that's happening, but that's one way to include body safety from the day your child is born mm. as the culture of your home. My guess is that someone somewhere saw signs in you in school in, you know, trained adults in this area would be able to see something. Okay. Well, I think, you know, I'm so grateful for the education now with, you know, online and all of those things, because unfortunately back then, which I'm not that old, but 10, you know, 15 years ago, that wasn't taught, was so taboo. It was not talked about. My mom wasn't sexually abused. So of course, like nobody in my family had ever been sexually, well, I mean, people have been sexually abused. I found out later, but nobody had like talked about it. And so right. it was never a spoken, it was never a spoken thing. And so you know, when people ask me, like, did your mom see signs? Did your dad see signs? Things like that. It's like, well, they might have, but again, it wasn't, it wasn't known then. So people didn't assume that was happening. We were able to play night games till 10 o'clock at night in right. our neighborhood and it was safe. You know what I mean? Right. They didn't have the language for it. They didn't have exactly. the context, but you know what they did have? And, and this is one that hopefully your listeners can take away because every one of us has it is our gut feeling yep. and our intuition. That's and, what I always say, follow it and ask questions. Yes, and don't I don't know if you follow the Mama Bear Effect, um, no. an organization called the Mama Bear Effect. She's a colleague of mine, Adrian Simone. Unbelievable organization. And it's all about your gut intuition. That Mama Bear in you, your mom might have had some feeling, but for her, especially married to the man, the consequences are huge for her to admit it. And these are right. the dynamics of sex abuse. So if nothing else, if your child's not showing signs, but something's off, something's wrong, a, a child blurts something out and says something, my advice is to inquire, talk, ask, read books, engage a professional. 
Mm -hmm. um, but what we want to do is prevent this in the first place. And right. that's what my work is focused on. Really, I do a four-hour seminar. Most of the parents who come know very little about this. Um, some know a little more, and obviously many are survivors because the, the rates are so high. Mm -hmm. But to, to help parents, you know, just have a, a template for, for creating conversations at home around sexual assault prevention. And I, I use slash body safety because sometimes that term sex assault is just so hard for people to, you yeah. know, it creates that stigma, like not in my family, which right. we know it happens in all, all kinds of families, right. but it's to really, is to educate parents on this is what sex assault of children is. This is how it happens through grooming. These are children's age appropriate sexual behaviors versus concerning behaviors because every parent really needs to know the difference because children are sexual. They're curious, they explore their own bodies, they explore other people's bodies. And that is incredibly important to nurture in children and give boundaries around it. But to also understand what sexual behaviors kids might display that are beyond the normal development. Right. So, so you can intervene. Then I teach the body safety rules, which are the guidelines for kids, and then how parents can have these conversations with all the people that you choose to have in your children's lives. And we practice those conversations. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, you said something about the body safety. Can you explain that a little bit more? Sure. So, you know, kids have a lot of rules, right? They, they get a lot of rules. And body safety rules, you know, the word rule can be problematic sometimes because, and I tell parents this all the time, if you teach children body safety rules, and I'm going to give you some examples, and the child breaks one of the rules, or someone else breaks their body safety rule, it can create shame and guilt. And we don't trouble. Right, trouble. So I talk a lot about trouble. Okay. Um, but a body safety rules are really a toolkit for kids. Yes, the responsibility is on adults to keep them safe. But sometimes, as we both know, <clears throat> excuse me, children are not always in a situation where an adult can keep them safe, mm -hmm. right? So body safety rules include things like touching rules, like to teach a child from the earliest of ages, no one is allowed to touch your genitals, yep. your mm -hmm. private parts whatever word you use, but to use the correct terminology of mm -hmm. genitals. So no one's allowed to touch these private areas. With young children, you give exceptions, except when I'm helping clean you or bathe you, or we're at the doctor, Yeah. or the nurse needs to look at them, but they always need permission and consent. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're, oh, you're starting with a baseline here of, no one's allowed to touch the private areas of your body. You don't touch other people's private areas of their body, their vagina, their penis, their buttocks, period. Mm -hmm. There's no exception to that one. So in that you're teaching, you know, if, if another person requests a child touch their body, I mean, in sexual assault, it's not always the child who's touched, but the child's forced to touch others. Right. So, right. So those are the body safety rules that address that. Now, you probably know this, and I've learned in my work that so many survivors didn't even know what was happening to them was wrong. Yeah, right? until it was already happening. Right. They 
they thought they were the only one in the world or no one had ever spoken to them about it. The perpetrator said, this is normal in my job to teach you, whatever is told. But if, if a parent starts really young, no one's allowed to do this. And then it happens to a child, they have that information. Right, we talked right. about this. I can tell, hopefully a child can tell. So those are some of the touching rules. Also body safety rules would include, you can touch your own private areas when you're in private and you open discussions about what private means when you're by yourself, when you're mm. alone, because we know that children touching their own genitals is normal and they do it to soothe and comfort. Mm. Um, so that can get included in the conversation. Body safety rules around secrets that you yes. have surprises in your family, but not secrets. Yeah. And, and another huge one is consent. You know, parenting your children with just the utmost beliefs around consent, that it is not your child's job, Desi, and everyone listening, to manage the feelings of other people. Absolutely. Yep. Right? It doesn't mean they can't be kind and compassionate and, and have a nice, kind heart, but it is not their job to make sure grandma is happy when grandma wants her kiss and her hug mm. and your child does not want to give it. Right. This is a huge part of prevention is to bring your family in to help role model that for your child instead of do the guilt trip of, oh, I want my kiss and my hug, you know, and, and demanding affection. So that's another piece of body safety. Okay. And then another really big one, and I mean, I'd go through 10 of them, but one more I'll mention here. If people want to come to the workshop, I'd love that. And they can learn the full game. Are those the ones that you do online? I do them live now via okay. Zoom because okay. I can't do them live. I live in Boulder, right. Colorado, and I okay. was doing them live in schools and organizations. And I can't now because yeah. so I do them via Zoom. Zoom. Okay. Perfect. And they're on my, they're on my website. Um, but the okay. other one that's really important to discuss with children is pornography. And that that's starts. a huge one, I think, because that's a huge one for me because I think that was one of the first signs for for me is I remember him having a porn like addiction and walking out of my bedroom at night and he'd be sitting on a computer. And I remember that was always and I had never seen anything like that before. So I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, what in the heck was that? And then later on was forced to watch it and things like that. And so I think that, yeah, pornography is is I always. um talk about like preventing, you know, watching pornography and how it affects, I personally believe it can end up making long-term effects. And so um, it's, I don't know, it's just a huge thing for me to raise awareness for that. Because like I said, I think pornography was a huge part of my story. Well, it sounds to me like by what you just said, that he was grooming you by right. exposing you the, to see it before he even made you watch it. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's part of grooming. And so to start with children as young as five and six years old, because any child who has a device and access to the internet mm -hmm. is exposed to sexually abusive imagery, it will happen. The average age is between seven and 11 when a child has their first exposure. Either they stumble on it or they, they seek it out purposefully because they're not being properly nurtured in sexual development and they want answers. Mm. And so 
I mean, I go into this in great detail in my workshops, how to talk to kids about porn, what language mm-hmm. to use, what approach, and for people to really understand that, you know, the common response from parents is not my child, my kid's a good kid, they're not going to look at this. And what I want to say is it has nothing to do with how good your kid is. Your child might be a good kid, quote unquote, but the internet is not. The internet right. wants your child to look at porn and Pornhub and all these other sites are mm-hmm. purposefully get, trying to gain your child's attention while your child's on kid YouTube, on their gaming sites, on all, all the sites that kids go to. There are pop-up ads and there are there are ways that children are enticed in. Mm-hmm. And you are so right that, you know, it completely affects a child's brain when they are exposed to these sexually abusive imagery. So Mm -hmm. that's a piece of the workshop that I go into as well. That's kind of a feel for body safety. Yeah. Um, What about, what are some of the main tips that you give parents on to prevent something like this from happening and the signs to look for? Other than the grooming, you did say the grooming, but anything else like specifically? Yeah. So the main tips I would give if, you know, and this is the outline of my four hour workshop. Number one, educate yourself. Mm -hmm. If you believe that this can't happen and won't in your family, because you live in a really great neighborhood or your kid goes to a good school or any of that, you are more likely to have this happen. And that's the truth because that's what an offender is looking for. And they are listening carefully. And they tell me that. And they tell me to tell you to, and to tell parents to take their heads, you know, this is brutal, but out of the sand and Mm -hmm. understand that this can happen to anyone. So I would start with that. That's a tip. Please educate yourself just like you educate yourself around your car seat and around parent discipline or whatever interests you in parenting. This is a must. Second, I would say begin conversations about boundaries and bodies and consent from the earliest days in your child's life. Okay. Learn the difference between a child's normal sexual exploration at every age, every stage Mm -hmm. of development and what is too advanced and how to intervene in both of those. Are there, other than like your trainings and stuff, are there books on that that you would recommend? Um, What what would you recommend for parents to kind of educate themselves? There's so many, so much information out there, but I do, I did write a book and I go into this in great detail. It's called Off Limits. Is that upside down when I show it like that? Okay. It's called Off Limits and you can find this at parentingsafechildren.com, which is my website. And I have a whole chapter on every stage of development. Okay. Zero to two, three to five, all the ages up through the adolescent years, all the body safety rules are in this book for children and for teenagers. Okay. Um, and you can also go to an organization called stopitnow.org, which is wonderful. And you- and Yeah, I actually follow them too. Yeah, right. So, um, so learn the difference between, you know, kids' sexual behavior, because when your child's having a play date and you walk in and their clothes are off, are they playing doctor and normally exploring or- are they behaving in a way that they are simulating adult behavior? 
Well, with, with the normal exploring, when you say that, like you said, kind of just kids are going to have normal feelings and try to figure out what things are and all of that. I remember like being little and my best friend or not my best friend, one of my friends was telling me that they saw someone else because they pulled their pants down and then it was different than them. Things like that. I remember those conversations when I was little, especially because I think I was aware of it because it was happening. So I remember thinking like, well, that's, is that, is that weird? You know what I mean? So how do, let's say I walk in on my, one of my children doing something like that, but it's normal. How do I approach that without making them feel necessarily ashamed or are they, or should they be in trouble? How do I approach that? Never trouble, never, ever, ever, because trouble does not get to the root of what's happening. Mm -hmm. So what I'd say to your question, and this is what we really go into my workshop, maybe sometime you can take it. I hope. Yes, I do want to take it. I've been wanting to, I need it. I need to take it. I think that'd be great. When when that works for you. My next one is January 23rd and 30th. It's in two parts because it's too long to sit in one part. Um, And you can do this, look at that on my website. So, So I would say to, to, this is why it's so important to start really young with kids, teaching Mm -hmm. them that you don't touch or look at other people's private parts and they don't do look at yours or touch. However, there's a contradiction there because we need to teach children that, right? That's a boundary. No one touches your vagina, your penis, you don't touch other people's. However, it is normal for them to want to look at penises and to explore and mommy, why are your boobs so big? Why aren't mine big? And what's that daddy? Why is it so hairy? And all the questions that they ask. So we need to give them this boundary. Yet when they're behaving normally by exploring with their friends, the response that you want to have is, oh, it depends on what, this, what they're doing. If you walk right. in and they have their clothes off and they have a stethoscope, a play one, or they're looking at vaginas, or you want to be as calm as possible and okay. say, oh, it looks like you two are looking at private parts. Let's get dressed and mm. go outside and play. Redirect to something else and okay. review the body safety rules. Remember. Don't panic. Do not panic. Because I haven't had this happen, but like, that's all honestly my fear because I think obviously with my like PTSD, I'm a little bit, I kind of think I would freak out. So I, I definitely am preparing myself if that day comes how to react because I don't want to panic. Here's the thing, Desi, keep doors open, supervise play, talk to the other parents about the body safety rules, talk to both any child that comes into your home you review the rules before they play. Let the mm-hmm. parents know of the other family you're doing that. So you're on the same page. That's your prevention team, right? right? And just remember, and you'll learn all this in practice when you do my workshop, okay? Just remember, if you panic, which is normal to do, so don't blame and guilt yourself. But if you do, mm-hmm. your child's, they, they're sponges and they will take your worry in. It can create shame. It can create worry and it's not okay. serving them. If you need to panic, take a breath, walk out, take your child's hand, gently do whatever you can to panic later. But okay. don't panic over normal behavior. What if you walk in and I'm going to be blunt here. So trigger warning for anyone, because I do talk about this in my workshops. If you see your child or two children or three or however many with mouths on genitals, mm. that's an example of advanced sexual behavior. That's, right. Cause they right? learn that from somewhere. 
And that's right. why I always tell parents to ask me those same questions. It's like, if there's a something, like you said, that's out of curiosity, then there's a difference between out of curiosity and then actually doing something that's like, okay, a five-year-old should not know what that is Correct. yet. So, Correct. okay. Okay. So I, where were we? We were talking about what do you do with kids? So just not so, to panic and all that. Yeah. Not to panic. Yeah. And, okay. and I think another really important part, part of this, and I go through this in my workshop is how to have really honest, direct conversations with other adults before your children play. Yes. Because you don't know the histories of the children your children are playing with, or they don't know yours. Exactly. To to agree with each other, if our kids were going to play with each other, hey, Desi, can we agree that if the kids end up exploring, because you know they're in that stage right now where they're taking their clothes off, that we promise to call each other and tell each other and give the kids boundaries together in the same language. And this is the way I'm recommending that, that parents converse before their mm-hmm. children play. Absolutely. I think that's so important. I don't, um, do you know this, Desi? I don't, I'm just going to throw this out that a third to a half of all child sex abuse is committed by youth. Oh, wow. No, I didn't really realize that. That's I know the why- statistics of what happens of the, of youth being sexualized and being sexually abused and all of that. But I didn't realize it was so high with children on children. Up to a half of abuse that's committed is a child abusing another child, an older youth with a younger. There is so much sexual assault with teenagers and young children and babysitting and youth groups and siblings. And so what I'm talking about is not just about adult perpetrators. Mm-hmm. which is why it's so important to really educate yourself. And you so know. with like a child, okay, for example, if a child comes to me, so I actually have a parent that came to me and their daughter had come to her and said that um, there were things that were happening at with her two friends, which was a brother and a sister and that they had done, you know, like you said, put their mouths on her genitals, touched her different things. So of course she reported it. She did the whole, you know, that whole thing. But how do you, because the other, per, the other child was a boy, was young too, only like eight. He wasn't that old either. How do you approach something like that? Because you don't want to get like hurt an eight-year-old child. You don't want to send an eight-year-old child to, you can't send an eight-year-old child to jail. How do you explain that to your child? And how do you kind of approach that situation? Because it's such an uncomfortable, weird situation. Are you saying the eight-year-old child sexually acted out onto a younger child? Yes, onto a six-year-old child. Okay. So all the children involved need some really good specialized care and treatment. So an eight-year-old who's sexually acting out onto a six-year-old, we need to know why. Right. How did they learn that? Where did they learn that? Okay. What is it happening to them? Or we're very often these days with with children on, with child to child, they are being exposed to pornography and then mm-hmm. they are acting it out onto younger children. So we need the eight-year-old who offended the six-year-old. And I use that eight-year-old as an offender because they are not. Children right. are not sex offenders um, and children cannot be legally liable until they are 10 and over, at least in Colorado, most states have an age range there. Okay. Um, where they can be held liable if they offend a younger ch- child, but the eight-year-old needs needs help with somebody right. who specializes in sexual behavior with kids and trauma, and so mm-hmm. does the six-year-old. So the six-year-old doesn't act out onto another child. 
Yes. That's, so that's the recommendation. That's what I told her because I don't want the daughter to, because that's what she was kind of worried about. Like, should I let her go play with other friends now? Should I let her go to her friend's house and have a sleepover because of what happened to her? You know what I mean? And so I think, the, you know, I did tell her what you, what exactly what you had just said, you know, get them both help. The eight-year-old obviously is being abused or exposed as well. Um, but like I said, I think the fear is, oh crap, well now she's seen that. So now do I need to make sure she doesn't do it to anyone else or, you know, something like that. Right. Well, let me reassure people that most children who are sexually abused do not turn around and abuse other children. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's I, a myth. I never, I never, that if a child is, a, right. It's a myth that if a child's abused, they're going to abuse. Now it can happen and it does happen, especially if a child's repeatedly abused and no one's and and there's no intervention at all, they can start to sexually out, act out, but it's not inevitable. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the answer would be yes, the mom needs to get the little girl who was offended some help to help mostly to help her navigate the, what she experienced. Okay. Um, and hopefully she won't act out onto another child and right. probably she won't, but she might, you know, we, we just don't know. I like what you said, you know, that children are not, cannot be predators because I think that a lot of people have mixed feelings about that. And so I, I like that you said that, that you pointed that out because I think it's something that parents need to be aware of and need to realize that just because something like that happens, doesn't mean their child's going to be in prison for the rest of their life or their child's going to grow up and have all of these, you know, major issues. And so, yeah, thank you for touching on that. Yes. I um, mean, I don't even like to use the word predator actually in my work because predator elicits this image of someone who's hunting children, which pedophiles, some pedophiles do do that. I guess, yeah, more of a pedophile abuser, things like right. that. Right. But we know that most people who sexually abuse children are men and women like in your family, your stepdad, right. who might have been a quote unquote predator, but it's the people closest to us and the word predator elicits monster in the bushes. So children okay. are not sex offenders. Children are kids with sexual behavior concerns if they act out and they need treatment and intervention. How is that? Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to think what other questions I had for you. Um, anything else that you want to touch on that you think is super important for this topic? Well, I yeah, and since we have a few minutes, how about throwing this one in? This is an area that I'm really passionate about and I'm actually doing some study on, which is parents posting photos of their children on social yes. media. <laughs> you want okay, to I would that? actually, yes, I would actually love to do that because, okay. um, you know, I'm obviously have a following on Instagram and that this and that. And every once in a while, I'll post a picture of me and my daughter or, um, you know, her birthday or something like that. But I do always second guess and kind of second guess myself. Um, a little bit of history on my thing last year. So my original abuser, uh, my old stepdad, he was released a few years ago. Well, last August, I was um, called by a detective that my stepfather had been caught. So he was released from prison and he had been caught with child pornography and that um, they ended up doing a raid. They raided his house or his place or whatever, and ended up finding over 200 pictures 
of child pornography with my face put cut out and put on every single picture. So I had to go to court again, do the whole thing. But my point of that is my, my panic was, did he get pictures of my daughter? Because she looks like me, you know, did, is that, so I, so that's always been a fear of mine is that someone's going to get, even if it's just her face, because obviously I'm never going to post pictures of her being naked on online, but if it's just her face, like somebody putting her face on another child's body. And those are, those are my fears, especially as a survivor. So yeah. Can you give us a little bit of advice on, on that? Well, you just gave the best advice ever. You're, you're just as much of an expert as I am studying this because you said you second guess yourself. Mm -hmm. So what I tell parents all the time around so many topics, but right now we're talking about posting photos, but this goes for all topics. If you have any inkling, Desi, that you don't want to do this, you shouldn't do this, there's something off about it, listen to yourself. Your mm -hmm. gut is your best friend. It is your best radar. It is intuition is everything. I recommend this book right here. If you haven't read Gavin De Becker, Protecting the Gift, it's a phenomenal. I'm all these down. Yeah, it's a phenomenal book for parents on intuition. So around posting photos of children, I mean, you just said it that he was caught with pornography with your face. So. It is super that he got from my page. You exactly. Know, so he you get I mean, parents hand their children over the moment a photo goes online of any of us, of an animal, of whatever it is, mm -hmm. it's there forever. Right. There is really no such thing as privacy settings because yeah. you can say, oh, my account is private. Well, we know that 90 percent or more of sexual offenders, people who offend children are known to you. Right. So someone in your social media group, your friend, somebody who you are connected with can be the one copying your photos, mm -hmm. right? So it doesn't matter that your settings are private. Once a photo is posted online, it is there forever. So parents need to decide, and it is a personal decision, what you are comfortable posting. So there's this continuum. On this end, some parents say, I will never post anything any photo image of my child because I believe my child has the right to choose and consent and now they can't because they're a child. Mm -hmm. I choose to not have my child's footprint on social media until they choose when they can choose. And then there's on the other end of the spectrum, parents who post every move their child makes mm -hmm. in every scene in every position with clothes, without clothes and anything in between. Mm -hmm. just special events. But what we know is that some people who are engaged in pornography and possessing and distributing pornography are go to social media sites to look for images. And mm -hmm. you might not think that your child in a Boy Scout uniform is a sexual image, but, and I don't expect most people to understand this in their mind because they don't study how this crime works. Right. Just to know that offenders at that level who are looking for those images, they are aroused by a child in a diaper as much as they might be in a Boy Scout uniform. Right. Okay. So at the very least, if you are someone who enjoys posting photos of your children to share, try, you know, have your settings private, even though people can still get in who are your friends. And Please never, ever, ever post a photo of your child unclothed in any way, including Absolutely. boys, 
with their shirts off. Mm -hmm. I see so many photos of boys like with from their belly button or from their below their belly button, like their abdomen up without a shirt on. And those right. images are candy for pedophiles. Yeah, I was going to say perpetrators and obviously be like, oh, all they see is without clothes. So Correct. Correct. And then okay. the images of children, you know, in their little tutu that are twirling around and maybe sticking their butt out a little bit. I mean, just if you can try to get this is what I would say, and this is what I post to parents. If you were to go right now to your social media site and you would scroll your, your photos, is there any photo in that gallery that you would not want a perpetrator to have access to or to have in their, on their person? Right. And if you say yes, there's your answer. Remove it, it take it down. And, you know, so if I were to ask you, Desi, is there any photo of your child, of your children in your role right now that you would not want your stepfather to have? Honestly, no. I, I am also very protective on what pictures I take. I don't take pictures of my kids in the bath. I don't, you know, I, I did at the beginning, like when they were little, but obviously always kept things covered. I would start out or whatever, you know. Um, but now that they're getting older, six and eight years old, they're starting to obviously discover their bodies and ask questions and things like that. So, no, I mean, for, for my page, at least, and for the things that I take a picture of on my phone, I look at my phone and I'm like, okay, I have nothing. But I actually, but I can say I look at, other people's page and yes. I see that they have things you know I you know my friend will sometimes post one of my friends posted things with her her daughter in her underwear and t-shirt and I know it's something that a lot of parents and you know it's hard because I don't want to be judgmental because I know a lot of parents don't understand like mm -hmm. what it is that they're doing but like you said for someone like me and you who've been doing this for a long time and are educated on how this works it's a huge red flag of like oh no like don't don't post that because that's something right. anybody who could get their hands on that could turn that into something not right. in a, like completely inappropriate right. so I think that it's to let parents know you know they if they decide to post pictures of their kids then that's their choice but just be careful and aware of what you're posting right uh, how much you know even even my daughter in her swimsuit I'm very like I don't put my daughter in a two-piece swimsuit she wears a full piece where will wear a full piece until I can't make that choice for her because again you don't know who's seeing that picture you don't know who's on the other side of that screen right. and so again I think that for parents that are listening to this it's not shaming anything that you've done in the past it's nope. just letting you know that just be aware because people like my old stepfather and people you know that are perpetrators do look for simple things like that something that you would think is completely harmless unfortunately in this day and age can not be so right and, and it also, you know, brings in the issue of consent. Is your, yeah. is your child giving permission at three years old running around in a diaper or even in their, you know, preschool graduation to have their image everywhere? So for some parents, that's important to them. For mm -hmm. others, it isn't. I wrote an art, a blog article um, a couple of years ago, and it's on my blog on my website called I Know Your Child is Adorable But, and <laughs> it, it just gives the facts. There's no, you know, guilt. This is not about guilt. We're all doing right. the best we can, you know, but if anyone's interested in taking a look at it, it's yeah, that's parentingsavechildren.com. I'll yeah. definitely look into that. Cause for me, honestly, like, I mean, I do post pictures of my kids, but again, it's just what I post, like pictures of my daughter, you know, she got right. She was a flower girl. So I posted a picture of her as the flower girl, things like that. So 
again, I think that there's a like a time and a place to post pictures of your children, but just remember who 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 the audience is and right. If your child is gonna want to want that to be on the internet in ten years, right? You know? Exactly. So yeah. Okay, I think that's a good one. Um, anything else that you think is kind of a big important thing to throw out there right now? Oh, there's so much we could. Yeah, I know hours, we could do this know. for hours. We really come could. to the workshop in <laughs> January. Um. I think just, I think what I want to say, just to wrap up maybe, is that because the statistics of child sexual assault are so high, you know, we know that this is truly a pandemic globally. Um, You know, if we talked about the numbers of children being sexually abused on the nightly news the way we do about COVID or other other things, not that we shouldn't be talking about that, I'm, you know, we, we should, but people would be outraged. And I want people to know that this is not somebody else's problem. It's all of our responsibility to keep children safe. And it takes a village because it really does. It takes, I mean, if I see a little girl in a grocery store that seems scared or something seems off, I'm going to jump in still, whether I know her or not. So I think that that's a something all parents need to be aware of. If you see a child, a neighbor come over and looks distressed and like something's going on, step in. Don't ever feel like you're stepping on someone's toes or crossing boundaries because I'm, you know, as a survivor myself, there's, it's so much, I would wish that somebody would have done that for me. Somebody would have asked questions. Somebody would have done that. And so, yeah, don't be afraid to step in if you need, if you need to. And, and and people can be, will be afraid, but do it anyway. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's scary. It's a scary situation in general, but if someone's grooming your child or you see behaviors with your child that are uncomfortable to you and you speak up and say, I'm, you know, in our family, we don't tickle, please stop. That might be really scary to say your heart might be pounding, but do it anyway for your child. But what I was going to say about the statistics is that so many mothers and fathers are survivors themselves. Mm -hmm. So to implement, to commit to learning this on behalf of your children and to make the culture of your home be one of consent and boundaries and body safety is difficult for people. And so I guess my my plea and my my hope is that that parents can get the support they need to do it on behalf of their children. And yeah. there's so much out there. There's one book that another book that I highly recommend is called Parenting with PTSD. Oh, I need to yeah. read. <laughs> but yeah, it's excellent. And it okay. because it is, I mean, it is so important for you to do this for your children, Desi. And it makes total sense that it could be triggering for you. Yeah. And for millions of others. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's the thing that I'm realizing as of right now, um, I'm actually, they're doing a documentary um, of my life right now. We just started recording it and I'm having to go back to the memories of being eight years old and my son's eight years old. My daughter's six. I met my stepfather, my old stepfather at the age of six. And so it's definitely bringing up things triggers. And so I'm trying to be protective of my children. You know, I, I would definitely say sometimes I'm overprotective and my son would say that you're so overprotective. I don't let my kids do sleepovers. I, you know, I'm very specific on certain things. Um, but, and sometimes I feel guilty for that because I am paranoid because of my PTSD. But at the same time for me, it's like, I would rather be 
a, you know, a mean mom than have something happen to my children. But then, you know, like you said, the whole PTSD thing comes in and it almost causes more panic because I'm, I want to make sure nothing happens to them. And I've had a lot of parents say that to me before. They're so paranoid that something's going to happen to their children. And then most of the time it does because they think that they're looking at everything, but they're kind of off the rail. You know what okay, I mean? I want to tell you something. First of all, you are not paranoid. Okay. I invite you to take that word out of your language. Your job, you signed up to be a mother and protect your children. That is your job. Yes. Okay. The other thing I want to tell you is that you can learn sexual abuse prevention and body safety and not live in a paranoid way, quote unquote. Absolutely. You can do that. I promise you, you can learn about grooming and still trust your loved ones. Yes. Also, I want to tell you that the men that I have sat with who have sexually offended children tell me that they stay away from the overprotective helicopter parent. Mm. Okay. So the next time you feel guilty, okay. that, you're mean, <laughs> that you're a mean mom. Now I can't promise this because again, offenders have many different yeah. ways that they go about this crime, but right. for the most part, they want the easiest route. At least we're talking adults here. Okay. Not youth, but so be, be the overprotective, be all of the, what you are, but learn how to have these conversations with other adults Absolutely. So you can so you can allow your children to have some independence and freedom. Yeah, and I definitely learned that a couple of years ago because I at first when I first had my children, I was very paranoid and you know scared and all of those things. Now, as I've, I mean, I've been doing this for eleven years, been in the field counseling, all of those things. But when it's your own children, things sometimes change in your head, and definitely. so I had to remember and remember that that I can prevent it with education, talking to them, keeping myself alert, aware of situations. And so I'm very vocal with my children about their body parts and what's okay, what's not okay. My son actually had a doctor's appointment about two weeks ago and had to get his genitals looked at. And he was devastated. He was, cause he knows like, that's not okay. But at that moment, I let him know, like the doctor is allowed to do this because I'm sitting here and I'm making sure it's okay. And it's going to be quickly. And it's not going to be, it's just, just, just checking to make sure you're healthy. It's not. There's no secret else. in, there's no secret right. involved. Yes, exactly. Right. And I'm also very, I have, oh, that was kind of my biggest thing. I've been very on top of because I was told to keep a secret. Do not tell anybody. If you tell anybody, I will kill you, you know, threaten on a regular basis. So for my children, I make sure to let them know, like, even if somebody tells you not to tell a secret, you tell mommy right away. And then you won't, you won't be in trouble. I'll make sure that you know, it will get taken care of and you'll be safe. So my kids know not to keep secrets. And so, like you said, just those little things that are quote unquote little are so helpful to be preventative for this type of thing. Yes. So I love that you like educate parents on this and it's so important. So thank you for doing this for as long mm -hmm. as you have. Um, we definitely need more people like you to prevent this from being our world forever. You know, hopefully statistics will start going down at some point if more people like you and I stand together to fight this I do like I said I love what you do and the education that you that you teach so thank, thank you so much you, thank you um you guys make sure you follow her Instagram um parenting safe children again her website is parentingsafechildren.com that's where you can find her seminars and her parenting workshops so go on her page and make sure you sign up for that as soon as possible
again, thank you, Feather, for being on here. I appreciate it. You're so very welcome. Thanks. Um, I will definitely stay in touch. I, I, I'm sure I'll have. All right, guys. So if you follow me on Instagram, you've probably seen me wearing and repping the cutest leggings and workout gear. Well, all of that is from my ladies at Clone Apparel. The founder, Alex, was actually a guest on episode 10, Darkness Before Dawn on season one, which was about suicide prevention. Clone specializes in apparel for every booty and boob type. Plus, they have stuff for men as well. I can literally go from recording this podcast to the gym to picking up my kids and never have to worry about them moving, scrunching, or showing my booty. They are squat proof, moisture wicking, and did I mention super affordable? I'm talking nothing over $45. They will be launching new styles including high-waisted workout shorts this month, which I seriously cannot wait for check out the clone highlight on my Instagram page and make sure you follow them on Facebook and or Instagram at clone apparel. That's K L O N apparel. And the link to their website is in the bio. Also, if you use the discount code candle in a dark room, one word, you will get 20% off. So make sure you check them out now. You will not regret it. (music) 